the sermon series uh, comes out of, this is one of the sermon series that is going, that has developed out of my time that I spent at Spencerville Adventist Academy at the end of last year, talking to our junior, our freshman, sophomore, and junior classes, and, and talking to them about the, the things that they would like to hear, the questions that they have, and, and, and they they're really quite profound in what they wanted to know. And I've shared with you before that the number one thing that they listed was to hear more about revelation and, and prophecy. And we're going to get to that into the new year. But a word that I did see on many of their papers was this word hypocrisy. And we're going to be in Matthew 23 today. And, and if you are in Matthew 23, if you open your Bibles there, you'll see that, that the, the kind of the headline in most of our Bibles is a warning or a rebuke against hypocrisy. And so we're going to talk about that. We're going to unfold some of that. And this is the first sermon in that series. But before we do that, let's pray. Jesus, thanks so much for bringing us here this morning. Thanks for each person that's here. Thanks for each person that's watching online. We pray, Lord, that you'll speak to all of our hearts. In your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. A modern day parable to begin. So a man walked into a camping store, a very large camping store with all kinds of supplies and, and looking around at all the options that were on the walls and, and there on the, on the floor, he was obviously overwhelmed and did not know where to start. Seeing the puzzlement on his face, the, the manager of the store who happened to be nearby walked up to him and said, may I assist you with something? And the gentleman said, yes, I, I, I've never been camping but I have a backpacking trip scheduled with some, some friends in just a few weeks and, and I don't know what to get or where to begin. And the man said, oh, don't worry. I've got all under control. I can get you all set and ready to go for that trip, no problem. Just let me show you around. And truly, this store manager was indeed good at his job. He had all the knowledge. He began to get him maps and, 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 and tools and other things that he would need. Waterproof clothing and everything else. Socks. We always want to have good socks when we go camping. They came to the tents and he said, this is the tent you'll need. It, it, it can, it's perfect in all weathers. There's enough room for you to keep some things in it. It's easy to set up. It's easy to take down. The man said, well, I want to sleep well. So that's good. I'll get that tent. Next, we need to get you some boots, the manager said. These are the best boots that we have, he said. Solid sole, there's dependable upper support for the ankles. You can walk through anything. You can walk through water, you can walk through mud, you can walk on loose gravel, you can walk on, on slippery rocks. These boots are perfect in any condition. The novice camper smiled. His friends had told him that one of the things you don't want to have is bad shoes when you're out hiking, right, Tim, on the Appalachian Trail. Then they came to the cooking equipment. Again, the manager knew just what the man needed, the stove, the fuel, the storage pots, and the same with the food. What would, what would survive? What would be the right food to take along? The manager explained to the newbie camper, he said, when you're out there, you're going to need to have water and you're going to have to get it from a stream. You can't have water. Uh, just You don't want to carry water with you. You're going to have to have it from a stream. So, so we need to get you the right filter and you need the right bottles to put that filtered water in. And, and he gave him all of these things to put into his gear. Then it was a sleeping bag. Then it was something to burn to keep the insects away at night. Then it was a, uh, a flashlight. Then it was an emergency kit and so on and so forth. Finally, they came to that which would hold all of this, the backpacks. 
And the manager looked on the wall and he took down this beautiful big backpack and he said, this should be big enough. And he said, and it's waterproof and it fits snugly on your shoulders. It feels great on your shoulders. I love this pack, the manager said. As the man was at the counter paying this very large bill, but excited about his new hobby, the young lady that was, that was checking him out was kindly taking everything and loading it into the backpack one by one, the items into the backpack. He looked there at this backpack and it was so inviting. This, this new adventure lay before him was symbolized in that backpack. And, and he reached out for the backpack and grabbed the straps like he had done this a million times. He went to, to throw it over his shoulders and then he had an awkward moment. He couldn't move the backpack. So, trying to avoid embarrassment, he decided to just stretch a little bit. And he decided he's going to turn around and back himself up into the backpack. The young lady, seeing the difficulty that he was having, as he backed himself in, she, she tried to help him with the straps to get it over his shoulders. And, and, and then he contorted his face and tightened his core and he, and he strained up his knees and he was able to lift the backpack just a little. And, and he thought in his mind, I don't know if I'm going to get out of this store. How on earth am I going to be able to get out of my car and into the woods on a backpacking journey? Seeing the manager still nearby, he, he looks at the manager and he says to him, you know, this is, this is pretty heavy. And the manager says, oh, don't worry about it. You'll get used to it. By the end of your camping trip, you'll be strong. You, it'll, it, you won't even feel it there. You'll love it. Have a good time. And the manager walks away. And as the manager walks away, the lady checking him out, the young lady at the counter leans over and she whispers, he's never even been camping. <laughs> he says, it hurts his back. Matthew chapter 23. We'll read about some knowledgeable well-presented, confident camping store managers who have not done the one essential thing that is necessary to really give direction. And that is to have a heart examined and surrendered to Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 23, beginning in verse one, Jesus speaking to the disciples and to the crowd said this, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything that they tell you. But, they, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on their other people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to lift a finger or move them. Many teachers of the law and the Pharisees were camping store managers that had never actually camped. And this left them with a heartless and an empty religion. And a heartless and empty religion will always lead to a hypocritical religion as well. It doesn't matter if you're liberal or conservative. If your heart has not been surrendered to Jesus Christ, it leads to hypocrisy. 
In the case of, of their religion, what they were focused on were the, the outwardly things that could be observed and could be praised by others. But they, ex they neglected the essential element of being a true follower of God, being a follower that allowed their heart to be examined, being someone who examined even their own hearts in this journey. All the knowledge, all the confidence, all the, the bravado was nothing without the essential element of an examined heart. R.T. France in his commentary on Matthew, I love the way he describes hypocrisy. He says, he says this, he says, hypocritus, which is uh, the, the Greek word and originally meant a theatrical actor, but hypocritus is used by Matthew for a critic who does not criticize themselves, himself. In other words, a hypocrite is someone that, that examines the externals of themselves. They examine the externals of, of others. They examine what, what others are observing about them, but they never actually examine or allow their own hearts to be examined. Jesus illustrated this, this idea by talking about these Pharisees, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. And he says, first off, and this is something that we should should think about when we're talking about hypocrisy and as we're looking at this sermon, this sermon series from Matthew 23 in the next few weeks. Jesus starts off by saying this, actually. They sit in the seat of Moses. What that means, basically, is that they are, when they're doing it right, they have been assigned to be teachers of God's law. So they sit in the seat of Moses. And he said, and Jesus said, be careful to do everything they tell you. Ellen White says that, that whenever we are taught truth and it's in the, uh, it's truth that we should follow that truth. Hear this family. And this is important. Too many of us, too many of us use the failures of others as an excuse to deny God's truth as a, as an opportunity to excuse our own disobedience. I've heard with my own ears, young and old say this, why should I even listen to them? They don't actually even practice what they preach. I know people that, that don't go to churches because they don't like the messenger. I know people that, 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 that excuse their own behavior because of the person that taught them wasn't really moral in their own standing. Jesus here doesn't give us that gap. We are to obey truth even if we don't like the messenger. We are to obey truth, even if we see that the truth giver is at times a sinner and a hypocrite. The Bible tells us, Jesus tells us right there, be careful to do everything they tell you. But then he goes on to say this, but don't do what they do, for they themselves do not actually practice what they preach. And Jesus then says, they tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. These individuals, yes, at times they taught the law, but, but when they taught the law, they taught it at times in a way that added burden to people's lives. You know, you can teach the truth and you can teach it in such a way that their religion becomes burdensome. I know that as a parent, I've done this at times. Every time I tell, basically live out this practice, do what I say, not what I do, I'm, I'm practicing that pharisaical trait. 
I'm doing those things. Every time I don't take the time to explain to someone why something is right or wrong and how it relates to Christ, I'm teaching something in a way that is adding burden without them understanding the grace and the love and the purpose behind it. And we do this. And this is what they would do. But not only would they, would they teach truth in the wrong way, but they would also add things or they would, they would adjust the truth in just such a way that, that, that it would add extra things on to the truth. It would add extra things onto the truth. They would tie heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders. And then they would find convenient ways for those things not to apply to themselves. For people not to apply to themselves. But they would add things. They would take the truth and they would shape it just so in order to manipulate it so that they would have more power maybe over the people. We still sometimes do this. We take things, we take a text, we take an idea, and we shape it just so and, and try to make it say something maybe that it doesn't. I was recently, uh, not too recently, but I was at uh, some meetings and Christina, my wife was there with me and she was actually on time and I was late. So she was sitting up front and I was sitting towards the back and and we were sitting there and there was a discussion taking place in this room. And it was a room, actually, a room of, of some older folk and some younger folk. It was a very diverse room, generation-wise. And these, this, there was some sharing of things. And, and this one lady raised her hand. And she said, you know, I have some concerns about where our church is at. And, and I immediately resonated with that because I have concerns about the church too. So there was this part of me that said, oh, I, my ears perked up and I, and I began to listen. And then she decided to share what her sorrow was. And it made me sorrowful that she decided to share what her sorrow was, actually. Because she said, I'm sorrowful because women don't wear, or uh, women wear pants to church. And she said, this is her great sorrow about the church and her concern over the church. And I was like, oh, no, don't continue, don't continue, don't continue, please don't continue. And she said, my husband and I actually left one church and we chose another church where Women wearing dresses still matters. And I texted Christina. I went back and looked at my text to make sure I got it right. I texted Christina. I said, this statement makes me sorrowful because conservative is defined by nothing in the Bible but how one dresses. We still do these things. And someone may say, oh, wait, 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 Pastor. There is a text in the Bible that says, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 5 or 6. You'll have to look it up. Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 5 or 6, which says, women should not dress like men and men should not dress like women. Folks, that text has nothing to do with style. That text actually has to do with, with men, women dressing in such a way to appear as men or women trying to appear as or men trying to appear as women and women trying to appear as men, which is a whole nother sermon, but not about style. Sometimes we do this. My dad told me that when he was a kid, that he used to get spanked for chewing gum. We could say, well, maybe if his parents told him not to chew gum, that would be a good, well, maybe not even a good reason to spank him then. But, but we would maybe say, okay, he should have honored his parents if they told him not to. But, but it wasn't because about chewing gum was disrespecting his parents. He was taught that chewing gum was sin. Because some of you might have read a little passage about how chewing gum can upset the stomach. And so that little thing was turned into part of the Holy Book's health message. And my dad would get a belt for that. 
We do these things. Some of you grew up in environments in which, in which these were, these, these, we take the rules, the, the principles of, of good health and we turn it into, or we take the principles of, of appropriate dress and we turn it into something else. We turn it into something else. It's a matter of control. Ellen White actually says this. She said, she said, the way they practice their religion, or she says that they were traditions. Uh, the Pharisees enjoined a multitude of regulations having their foundation in tradition and unreasonably restricting personal freedom. They did these things. They created these things in a way that, that it was about tradition and control, not about God and relationship. The way they taught their religion showed a lack of care for the people. But the way they practiced their religion also showed a lack of care for the people and a lack of care for God. The way they practiced their religion showed that they were not interested in the people growing in their relationship with God, but rather they were interested in the people recognizing that they themselves were somehow more holy. They were more holy. Verses five, verse five, it says, everything they did was done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplace and to be called rabbis by, rabbi by others. Probably many of us have been in moments where we've even had these things where, where there's a part of us that, that we do certain things because we want to be seen by others or, or we act in a certain way because we want to be seen by others. Maybe it happens every single Sabbath when we come to church and we've argued all the way to church and then we walk in the door and we go, hello. Isn't it a beautiful Sabbath day? No one else has ever done that ever in your history of your life. Have you ever had those moments? We've had those moments, haven't we? It still happens today. And the Bible here talks about, a, or Jesus here describes a few things. For one, he says, they make their phylacteries large. For those of you that don't know what a, a phylactery is, in the Bible, it was a box. So you remember the text in Deuteronomy and Exodus in which the Bible tells uh, the, the, his people to remember his words. And he says, Tie it on your hand and tie it on your forehead as a, uh, between your eyes, on the frontlets of your eyes, between your eyes. And, and so the Pharisees took this literally. Now I would interpret this to mean, I would interpret this to mean that, that God wants us to remember his word in our mind so that his word and his truth is always guiding every aspect of our lives and that God is wanting us to, to make sure that all of our actions that are done with our hands and all of our, the steps that we take are being directed by the word of God. This is what I would take that to mean, but they took it literally. And so they created these little boxes, these little boxes in which they would put tiny little scriptures. And it was, you know, start out with like just two or three scriptures scriptures rolled up in these little boxes and they would have those on their hands or they would have those on their head, that they would wear those things on their head. But, but these folk wanted people to see them and to recognize that they were a holy person. And so those boxes of scriptures grew and grew, you know, and they, they grew on their hands and they had these big, imagine, think, or think about the way I picture this is, have you ever seen the royal weddings? And have you seen the pictures from the royal weddings and those ladies and those hats that they wear? Or like the Metropolitan Opera Gala and some of those hats that they wear that are, that are all crazy. That's how I picture this. And they wanted people to see them and to, and to know them. What's funny is the Bible never actually says anything about women wearing pants or not wearing pants. But the Bible does say something about Christians wearing weird hats with Christian slogans. It's kind of crazy. So watch the hats you wear, Christians. You got to be careful on that. 
Then they were about their tassels. Now, their tassels, actually, they were instructed to wear tassels at the end of their clothes as a reminder. But the, but the Pharisees made their tassels extra long. Everything was done larger so that people could see that they were super holy. They were, they were camping store people with all the knowledge. Look at all the knowledge we have. See all this knowledge up here? But they didn't have the essential thing. They never camped. They never camped out with Jesus and, and with God and allowed him to examine their hearts and, and see, show them who they were. The Bible tells us that they, they like to be, have the seat of honor. When they were at the synagogue, they wanted people to see them and sit with them who were important and powerful. When they went out to eat somewhere, they wanted to sit where, where people were important and powerful. And, and, and you still see this sometimes. We still try to edge towards the important and the powerful people. We're in a community where church and state we work in and we try to edge towards these people of power. Uh, Christine and I in seminary, we were uh, our first year there in seminary. The president of our conference at the time was Dave Kress. He passed away in a, a plane crash, unfortunately, like uh, just a year later. But he came to the seminary for some meetings and he was with some other conference officers. And they said, hey, we're going to take all of the sponsorees from Georgia Cumberland Conference. We're going to take them all out to eat. And we went to uh, Pastor Matthew's favorite restaurant, uh, Olive Garden. Uh, it is my wife's least favorite restaurant. It's Pastor Matthew's favorite restaurant. So if I want to go to Olive Garden, I go on a date with Pastor Matthew, not my wife, which means I don't usually go to Olive Garden is basically what that means. I stay with Christina on my dates. But, but we went to Olive Garden and Christina and I got there and there was already quite a few people there and we walked in. And if you were in first service and you heard the story, you're going to hear it a little differently because my wife, who is way smarter than me, came up to me and corrected me just a little bit on it. So, but... We were there and we walked up to this table. We walked up to this table where we saw some people we knew, a couple sitting there and there was a couple open chairs. And we walked up to them and we said, um, or we didn't even say anything. We just started to sit down. And immediately this husband and wife, like almost simultaneously said, oh, no, 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 no. Those seats are saved. We, we have someone sitting there already. We we're like, okay, you know, maybe some people got up and went to the bathroom or maybe they told uh, some other seminarians that, hey, we'll save you a seat, whatever it may be. And we watched this and over and over again, couples came in and went to sit there because they were the closest seats and, and they kept saying, no, 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 no. There's people already sitting here. There's people already sitting here. And then something really embarrassing happened. Not for us, for them. In walks the president and another conference administrator. And this couple begins to go, oh, we saved you a seat. We saved you a seat. And this is what Christina reminded me of. They said, uh, no thanks. And they went and sat with all the people that these people had said no to. They were so, they didn't want to sit with lowly Christina and I or any other lowly folk, but the president. They had reserved it for the president. We still do stuff like this. I was walking through, I won't say with who, but I was walking through um, the GC one time, my very first GC session I went to. And we were with an individual that is well known and uh, we, we stopped every few feet, every few feet, grabbing, clutching, da 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 And we sat down, and while we were in worship service, uh, people were taking a camera. There was people in front of us taking a camera, and they were clicking pictures under their arms at this person. And finally, this individual's wife said, 
Some people think they're so sneaky, not letting us worship. <laughs> she was annoyed. Like, here were, they're not even letting us worship. They wanted to get their picture of this individual. We're, we, we can still be like that. And that's how these were. This is how these Pharisees were. They wanted to be seen. They wanted to be connected to people. They want to be connected to the famous. They cared about their titles, the Bible tells us. All of these things. And Jesus is saying, this is not the way to be. This is a camping store manager who knows all about camping and who seems like an expert, who looks like an expert, who talks like an expert, who acts like an expert, and yet they've never actually camped. They've never let Jesus explore. They've never let God explore and transform their hearts. But then Jesus basically says, but this is, this is not how you're to be. And, and, the, and then he contrasts who we are actually to be. He, con- he, he says, this is what a heartless religion looks like that leads to hypocrisy. And here is what a religion looks like that is open and is full of Jesus. Verse eight, but you are not to be called rabbi for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. And you are not to call anyone on earth father for you have one father and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant for those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus basically is painting a picture here of a religion full of people who have examined their heart. And in a, and in a, and in a, in a body of believers where the hearts have been examined, their religion is egalitarian. Their religion is not controlling. Their religion is service oriented and humble. Jesus says that there are three titles that those who, who have a heart filled religion Avoid. And these three titles are, are rabbi, father. And this is not speaking of calling a dad a father. This is talking about calling someone a father as far as a religious leader or director of spiritual ideas. And the last one is instructors. All three of those titles within their society structure were about superiority, about control, and about inequality. Superiority, control, and inequality. But when people have a true religion of the heart, they create an environment. They create communities where no one is superior while others live in inferiority. They create an environment in, in, in a non-hypocritical religion of the heart. There are no great ones expounding the law of authority while the rank and file permanently occupy an inferior place. We, we don't, we are not to, called to be in an environment where there is one teacher that is not other than Jesus himself, but one teacher and, and all the rest just listen and learn and say, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, whatever it may be. Jesus said, you're not to be called rabbi or brother or instructor because you know what you all are. You're all brothers. You're all sisters. And they cannot be arranged. Brothers and sisters cannot be arranged in a hierarchy. In the light of Jesus, we all hold an inferior rank to Jesus. And none of us is in a position to lord over others our own position. This is a religion of the heart. I have a role as a pastor and the Bible 
defines this role, but it is not superior to the role of the person who has the gift of hospitality that is so welcoming into our church family. It is not superior to the person that has the gift of hospitality that welcomes the guest in the church into their home and makes them feel loved and valued. It is not superior to the person who is an intercessor. And none of us know that that person is the person praying for us, but things are happening in our church because there's intercessors in our church. The pastor is not superior to the intercessor. The pastor is not superior to the person that Paul describes as having the gift of administration. And while I do preach, I'm not your instructor. Instructor, We are all instructed by the Holy Spirit, by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, this is why John Wesley, when he created his community of faith, and he established these smaller communities within these larger communities, these, these groups, this is why Ellen White was shown that there's a practice that cannot fail when you're in a large community come together in smaller communities. This is why we were established on this. This is why the church in other parts of the world has larger Sabbath schools than church services. It's because Sabbath schools and, 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 and smaller community groups, it's an opportunity for all of us in the circle to be equal. Not for me or one person to be teaching and talking, but for all of us to be collectively learning together. I was in a Sabbath school this morning and I will guarantee that I have the highest theological degree in that class, but I did not teach that class. Someone else taught that class. And there was things that were said in that class that I thought, oh man, that's a, that's a good word. That's a good thought. I never thought about that. My friend Cassie was in that class. She was sitting there by me and she, she used this phrase. She goes, when I come into the Sabbath, I prepare my heart and mind so that the, the air between Jesus and I is a little thinner. I just love the way that was expressed, that the air between Jesus and I is a little thinner. That's a, that's a preacher's phrase right there. She's not a preacher. In those groups, we, we learn to teach each other, to value each other, to, to care for one another. As David Turner wrote, Jesus' egalitarianism frees his disciples to live in a community where humble reciprocal service rules. Social, ethnic, gender differences are relativized in Jesus' family, which devalues status and which devalues status and prizes submission to his teaching. Jesus said, avoid these titles, rabbi, father, instruction, instructor. And Jesus says, instead, embrace just one title. Embrace just one title. Humble servant. Humble servant. A servant is not an expert without practice. A servant is someone always who knows that, who both knows about the camping, but also camps. A servant is someone who knows all the equipment, but they also know what it's like to actually sleep out in a tent and to carry the bag for all those miles. A servant is someone who, who knows, who knows the, the right filter and the right equipment, but knows that that we shouldn't put too much into the bag because otherwise we can't handle it on that trip. To keep things light, to keep things going. 
I want to ask us to examine our hearts. As we kind of head into this new season, every, we have a summer breaks and some people are still on their break, but as we head into this new school year and as we head into uh, out of the summer when, we, when things are kind of shifting, when we've just come out of a GC session, I want to challenge all of us, no matter who we are and what our title is, no matter our role or our function, to ask ourselves this. Do we have a true heart religion where the only title we care about is servant? Lord Jesus, I pray that as we think about you, Jesus, and who you are, as we think about you, the ultimate humble servant who, though made equal to God, you humbled yourself and became a servant, even a servant on the cross. Lord Jesus, who you are, may it convict us to not just be people of knowledge or of titles or a position, but to be people like our servant, our savior, our humble servants. Jesus, may we not grow into the religion of hypocrisy by allowing our hearts to go unexamined. But Lord, I pray that each one of us, even now, will invite you in to examine our hearts, to speak to us. And by your grace and by your power, to each day make us greater servants of you, Jesus, and greater servants of one another and our fellow man. In your name we pray. Amen.